and welcome to episode 21 of Big Boss Battles, Big Boss Babble. I'm Terry Jeffries, and here with me, as always, is the man Dan. Hello there. And the upside down man Toby. Hello. Hey. Very, so, very professional today, introducing yourself with your full name, Terry. Yeah, I didn't mean to do that, never <laughs> to, mind. To differentiate <laughs> yourself from the other Terry's on the podcast. Yeah, there's too there's too many of them, man. Well, now there's we need to find another one. It's true. There must be another one out there somewhere. Well, there was my father, but he's no longer with us, so I can't, unfortunately, ask him to join the podcast. No, that's fair. <laughs> That'd be slightly creepy Ooh. if you could. <laughs> but anyway, so this week, uh, Nintendo... Uh, announced the most Nintendo Nintendo thing that Nintendo could announce and uh, that is cardboard toys it, for use with the uh, Switch it, it was very Nintendo of Nintendo wasn't it I mean <laughs> Nintendo is Nintendo too much <laughs> they have a bit Nin- Nintendo always to me do uh, one extreme or the other so they're either ahead of the curve and it kind of bombs and they've not been doing that for a while or what they do is they launch after the technology has been refined a little bit and and kind of refined and tweaked and even kind of repackaged and rebuilt into a cheaper and more affordable form so in in technology it's normally when stuff gets shrunk down a little bit that's now when nintendo seems to hop on when it's yeah. a little bit safer obviously they still do their own thing with it don't get me wrong uh obviously touchscreens with the ds touchscreens were about but the ds was undeniably a really good application of it and oh, with certainly. the wii gyros were in mobile phones already but they weren't as refined and well used as in the wii remotes uh, and but but yes, we have we have cardboard and cardboard and string, and pulleys and and whistles. Pulleys and whistles. We've had included. all of them for a very long time. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, they've gone incredibly retro, but also incredibly futuristic. Because I mean, it was one of those things. Nintendo has this this way of doing things where they go, "Here's something," and you go, "What?" What? What the, what the hell are you thinking? And by the end of them showing you what it is, you're like, "All right, that's that's pretty genius." <laughs> I they've, they've done it multiple times. I was very surprised that they went with the kind of printing and folding out, increasing uh, start to that video. I'm really surprised that they didn't go with the kind of thing that I suppose everyone else would have gone with, which is the whole kind of like kids love playing with cardboard boxes thing. Yeah. I'm really surprised they didn't go with that and kind of kids playing with a cardboard box and then the cardboard box becoming these things. But but it was a really really good pitch video. But then when is a when is a Nintendo hardware or peripheral pitch video not kind of pure and sterile and and fun well yeah that is, that is very true I mean it's I can see kind of uh, one why people are upset with it because obviously Nintendo is selling you cardboard and a game but yeah you're getting, you're getting the game as well but I, I, I think initially a lot of people didn't realise that they were just like well, what the hell you're, you're, we're paying $70 or whatever it is for a bunch of cardboard 
but obviously you are getting the game as well um, but it's also it's, it's weird it's and I, the, the person I noticed it first with was was Ryan, and then uh, it's, it's apparently already become a meme. Is that a lot of older gamers that love the Switch are going, well, well why, why is this not for me? I, I, I you know, <laughs> they they don't seem to understand that there can be still be something that is purely aimed at kids on the Switch because the Switch yeah. has kind of flipped everything. Yeah, it was the it was the first console that's you know even in the original advertising there were no kids in it. Yeah, it's the Nintendo adult. Switch has been, ad, you know, you know, pushed forward to adults and the, and people on the go and you know all that kind of thing. There's been nothing about kids with the Switch marketing up until now, and now they've just gone completely different. When this is just for kids, this is not for adults. <laughs> this is a kid's toy, and it's I don't know it's kind of split people down the middle. Just like why why should this exist? The Switch isn't a kids I- thing anymore. I, I didn't see much of the reaction about why isn't this for me. I, I just saw a lot of people ridiculing the fact it was made out of cardboard. But I, I was right. working. I was working in shops when the when the Wii came out, and obviously there was a, a deluge of of plastic accessories for it. So I kind of thought, eh, yeah. eh, they're doing cool things. And obviously there's like strings and all sorts of other attachments for this. So it's not just cardboard. But yeah. I just thought but, uh, people were being cynical and funny. But the whole kind of like why is this not for me thing it's the same discussion as the kind of difficulty and accessibility in games and the whole kind yeah. of get good crew not everything from is dark for souls and the it, should every game be for everybody can i mean there's still nothing saying that we can't enjoy these little games and, and projects exactly. it, it's just and that I'm we're going not... to enjoy them <laughs> i don't care what anyone says exactly exactly i mean my first reaction when i saw this wasn't uh I think I shared it with you lot, actually. It wasn't like, cardboard, it was more like, if, you know, I have kids, cardboard and paper things doesn't last around children. Mm. It was, it was, and that was kind of, I suppose, before it dawned on me that their target audience was, was younger. I, I just took it as a kind of like, this is a, this is a thing. I actually kind of thought that the main people that would engage with it would be the hardcore players who didn't have kids or had high shelves. But, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely going to be a thing of, right, we're going to take it out now and we're going to play with it and now it's going to go away. Just yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely not a, it's definitely not a just for kids thing. Mm. This is, this is a definite kids and parents coming together. Rental supervision required. Yeah, and that's perfect. I'm going to I'm going to get this. My son's going to love the piano. My my daughter's going to love the little uh, dollhouse thing that does weird stuff when you put stuff in it. It's going to be good for me to play it with my kids. It's going to be yeah, a genius the dollhouse product. Looks really and, interesting. And the thing is, you look at how some of these things actually work and they are actually genius. It's insane. Like, 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 yeah, the piano. So the them. piano, you've got the Joy-Con in the back with the little camera facing the keys, and as you press the keys, little reflective tabs pop up, and the IR camera sees those and presses the right key. I believe but, technically yeah, IR tabs are obscured, yes. Oh, yeah, wait, whichever way around, but either way. I, I've but heard also, But there's also the <laughs> fact that you can apparently draw a sine wave on a bit of paper, cut mm-hmm. it out, and slot it into the piano, and it changes the sound. Yep. And, and it's, it's got buttons it's, and dials and yes, yeah, so this absolutely crazy. So there's a chance that this tech has been talked about since the console was first uh, come up with. 
Well, the, yeah, so this is the thing that uh, I was talking to someone about the other day, is that obviously with the Joy-Cons, they showed it off a little bit with 1-2-Switch, with what it could do with the IR camera and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's been a bit of HD rumble here and there. But this is really going out of its way to show you how powerful these Joy-Cons actually are. Yeah, they have, uh, I think, it can track 13 different points at the same time that the sort IR sensor, at least. That's Which is crazy. Yeah, you only need, you know... So they've, they've, I would fairly say, overpowered the tech at the start for this. And the, the, the thing is, it was it was not ever detailed as that effective. If anything, when the console first launched, people were complaining because one of the Joy-Cons didn't have quite as good a signal or connection as the yeah. other one. Yeah, the left uh, Joy-Con. I've still got that problem, but I very rarely use my Joy-Cons, so uh, it's, it's never really bothered me. And so it's so fascinating that this technology has not altered, barring the inclusion of you know a little bit of cardboard with a couple of tabs on it. Yeah, and yet this ability was there and probably come up with when the console first launched. This isn't something that's been recently innovated. At this the really something they've probably had a, the option. Yeah, they they could have probably launched with this, and if they'd launched with this, it would have been utterly confusing. But now yes. that there's a player base, it's quite a clever. I hope that they had this ready for launch and that they chose to delay this, because I think I would like to think that they did that and I would like to think that that's the right choice although because it, if yeah. they uh, launched with this they would have probably kind of broken some level of the internet with just craziness true yeah they've gone hey yeah, that's, play with cardboard that's the thing that's the thing obviously with the Switch we're seeing a completely different Nintendo they completely flipped to what they've done before. They released the system and they, you know, even though their systems have had, you know, browsers and apps and all this other stuff on it before, like the Wii U had it, the 3DS eventually got all that kind of stuff. The Switch came out and it just went, it plays games. That's it. Doesn't do anything else. It plays games. At home or on the go, it plays games. <laughs> That's it. And that was a good way of coming out the gate. Just pure and simple gaming. And then they can just start adding all this later on. But, moving on to another point me and Dan were discussing this as well is how third parties might react to this kind of technology and I brought up with Dan the fact that you know you a lot of these indie events that you go to a lot of uh, developers like making you know strange controller setups that it can't be really replicated in the home and now maybe some of these developers are looking at this technology and going well hang on maybe I could do it <laughs> I've and seen, then bring these experiences into the home. I've seen developers talking about now that you've seen this and they're making it, you know, accessible for developers. You know, what kind of cool, crazy ideas have you got? And people are already discussing it and this stuff isn't out there to be tinkered with and played with yet. So that's really good. That's really good to see. I mean, uh, one of my favourite... One of my... Yeah, I think it's safe to say favourite. One of my favourite games of last year, sadly... Uh, was Yo Bartender, which I played while I was out in Sweden for Sweden Games Fest. Uh, and what it was is you had a table in front of you. In the middle, you had a cup that was basically sellotaped to the table and had a rocker, rocker switch underneath it. Uh, 
well, it was more complicated than that, but it was basically a, a pivot. And then you had four or five bottles, and they had Wii remotes in them, and then there were four or five arcade buttons. And people would appear on screen, a bit like Cook, Serve, Delicious, and they'd say, I want this drink, and so you'd get a little prompt on screen, and it'd say, like, two units of gin, two units of this, and some juice, and an olive. And so you'd pick up each of the cups and hold them over it and tilt over it and it would fill up on screen because obviously it was using the Wii's gyros. But the developer was saying, you know, yeah, it's great at shows, people love it at shows, but there's no way we could package this up for the house. There is simply no way we could package this up for the house. But with five Joy-Cons and a touch screen, you could. Well, I'm just, I'm wondering actually whether you could actually do it with one. Or not, well, not one, possibly two. So one Joy-Con in the cup, and then have basically one bottle. Yeah? With yeah. the Joy-Con with the camera facing down. And have reflective tabs in, in different patterns. Ah, uh, yeah. So you move so on. You can hold the bottle, this... and, you, and you basically move the bottle onto one of the five different patterns, and then that. To change it to Becomes it. that, that. You know, it might be gin or vodka or, or whatever. That could so you work. place it on the point, um, changes it, and then pour it. Change it, pour it, change it, pour it. That could work. The real joy of it was, the real joy of the game, was that you could obviously put these bottles back wherever you wanted. So while the game started off with them in a set order, you could pick up the gin and just dump it on the left. You could stack everything over on the left if you wanted, because they were actual physical bottles. And as well as or, that, you could tilt them. You could tilt them as much as you wanted and obviously you have two hands so you could tilt two things at once if you were feeling really flash and okay and so, so it was a really fun game but you are right the joy-con could by having the the placements emulate it or you could even drop the joy-con into a bottle shaped cardboard thing and then tilt yeah no see what i'm see what i'm thinking now is the other way around is that you have the joy-con with the ir camera in the cup yeah. And on the top of each bottle are the different patterns. Yeah. See, that works. So then you can. But see, see, the thing is, I mean, obviously, Nintendo's showing this off uh, with cardboard because it's cheap and easy to do. But if you were an indie developer making all these other expenses, there's no reason you couldn't make it out of plastic, you know, that slots together or, you know, a, a physical solid plastic mold like we saw with the, the Wii True. that you just slot a Joy Con into and things like that. It doesn't have to be cardboard. Yeah, they've shown what can be done with the cheapest Wipo possible materials. Wipo does have plastic in it as well. The uh, foot thingies for the robot are made out of plastic. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, there's some bits of plastic in it, but what I'm saying is, obviously, it's generally made out of cardboard. Yeah. And they're sh- so they're showing what can be done with cardboard. If you're using better materials, there's no limit to what you could do, really. That's the other cool thing about Labo, is that it is obviously it being made out of cardboard is underlining the fact that it's the the it's the mechanical side of it that is impressive as opposed to the materials it's made out of yeah exactly the difference between a chrome controller and a standard controller is nothing it's purely aesthetics apart from the chrome controller costs more to manufacture with this they're literally making it out of cardboard so Indeed, and obviously, I mean, obviously, they've only released the two, or are going to release the two packs initially. The variety pack with what's it, the 
the little robot, the piano, the fishing rod, the house, and something else. I can't remember what the other one was. And then the robot. But in the in the trailer, you see six or seven other things that are not in those packs. Yeah. So there's, they're clearly already planning ahead for more packs. I mean, there was a a full-on steering wheel set with a with a foot pedal and a steering wheel yeah. and a, a camera, and yeah. So there's. There's definitely more options there that are going to come in the future. Definitely something worth keeping an eye on. I do just hope that it can be waterproofed. <laughs> well, I suppose if, if needs be. I mean, this is the thing, right? So there's nothing stopping you from taking these cardboard plans that you get with it, not making it out of them, but then having, you know, bits of plastic laser cut. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could... um Aren't there, like, waterproof cardboard things? Like, spray of wax gel and they are waterproof? Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, they say, I mean, you can get that spray that's hydrophobic, can't you? Yeah, something like that. Maybe <laughs> even, you know, upsell. You can buy the basic pack or the waterproof pack. <laughs> or 3D or just, print Or just it. build the things and then cover each individual piece in resin. Yeah, yeah there's that too, yeah. Anyway, they're crazy ideas. Let's move on to the next topic, which is uh, this Steam competitor. I can't remember the name of it, Toby. Can you... uh... It was Robot Cash, I believe. Robot Cash. Hmm. Which is a Steam competitor coming out in quarter two of this year, 2018, which uses blockchain as everything seems to do these days <laughs> uh, blockchain technology is cool I, I I like it I appreciate it it's great everything's trackable it's not centralised brilliant excellent pitching yourself as a steam competitor is a bad start because steam only got to be steam because it was good at what it did and then it was bigger than the competition so really you want to move in on a niche combining Steam Competitor with blockchain seems like a really odd thing it does have a niche though it's got two niches Oh, one is that the publishers get 95% of all sales and two once you're done with the game you can sell it back and then get a currency to buy other games so if I sell it back do I only get 5% of what I sell back? Uh, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you sell it back. Uh, from, what I, from what I read, you, you can just sell it to another user. 25%. Cool about, sorry, say that again? 25% apparently. 25% of the sale price. Yes. yes. But isn't, isn't it also that um, whoever buys that game basically second hand the developer still gets 70% of that yep 70% so the developer even is still getting money on every yeah. second hand sale as well which is a good thing so there's so, a 5% profit in it for the owners the, of yeah. Robot Cash they get 5% for every sale okay and obviously they're also kind of indirectly using your CPU and GPU or something to populate the blockchain? Uh, not sure, but uh, no. From what I read, you can you also opt into that. Yeah, you can. You can mine more of your, the uh, yeah 
Yeah, so you get, when you sell a game back, you get a form of cryptocurrency, which you can buy with other games, you can also mine more of it. Okay, so the argument could be that you start off with 30 quid and then you've, you've played effectively an infinite amount of games, even though you've just been trading in cryptocurrency after that. So as long as you're savvy with your purchases. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've not tinkered with cryptocurrency. I, I'm slowly learning about it and it just seems like a new stock market. Uh, you still need to have money to yeah. buy into that kind of thing. You know, it, it doesn't really help the poor and help you know the kill capitalism I think was what some people said that uh, Bitcoin and such would eventually do but if it's inaccessible to to you or I then I can't see how that's helping it's just decentralising and destabilising currency yeah. by globalising it ing ing but no it's interesting uh I suppose that you're getting cash back but it's a digital cash back which is the same as saying you've got 20 steam points that you can use to buy a game but we'll see how it goes I think what interests me most about this because I have done a little bit of reading up on this is that Brian Fargo previously of Exile Games and before that of Interplay uh, is one of the people on the board behind this uh, and I have a lot of faith in the man uh, I sincerely believe in anything that he you know attempts to do uh he's he's proven himself to me over the years as a a solid decision maker i suppose and so i'm a bit torn on this situation with this strange steam competitor and uh and the man who made fallout as it were i i, I don't want steam to die because then i lose all of my games yeah, I don't. I don't think Steam's in any trouble of going anywhere, really, unless it just kills itself by the influx of rubbish games. Yeah, but they're always going to work on a new curation method. And they're never going to hire people to do it. They're just going to crowdsource curation, and then everybody can just blame the uh, the crowd that are crowdsourcing curation. Yeah, well, I think. Steam are getting to the point where it's it's almost the same issue that YouTube's got is that they're too big so hiring people is not even a viable option because you'd need way too many people they've uh, Valve has also lost a lot of its development talent it's lost a lot of its writers recently uh the the kind of core writing trio that were behind the Half-Life games or the later Half-Life games have all moved on Chet Falsek is now at uh, is now at Bossa although he's working remote but yeah he's now at Bossa Studios working on some cool stuff uh, so Valve is becoming rapidly faceless uh, as it uh, continues to contort and expand which is a shame because they made good games and now they've just given up because they don't have to they just sit there with money rolling in yeah you can blame that on uh, can't remember his name well I can't yeah Yanis Varavoukas who went on to be the Greek finance minister because he was the guy that came up with the card trading and the the basis for the unlocks in Counter-Strike and Team Fortress the, the crate and key stuff so uh, so he invented loot boxes. Didn't <laughs> I knew that was going to come up? And oh gosh, 
he he I believe he has a degree or he excels in game theory. Right. Okay. I the logic not of games but of of yeah, yeah. yeah you know of I game mean, theory I, where I like know game theory, yeah, yeah you know if you have two prisoners and you say if you flick this switch then if both of you flick this switch then both of you will die if one of you flicks this switch then you will get to go free and the other one will die and if nobody flicks the switch everyone will live the odds say by game theory logic that nobody's going to touch the switch because they don't want to risk dying unless they don't know the person in the other cell in which case they're probably going to flick the switch because screw it what have they got to lose so, yeah but then so will the other one and then they both die and then they're screwed but then they wouldn't know so oh, yeah. but yeah that's uh, that's game theory and that's the logic that uh, the I suppose you can call them loot crates the unlockable crates were based on uh, and he also came up with obviously the, the currency I suppose in many ways of of, uh, of badges and Steam cards. He's off uh, trying to democ- uh, roll out democracy in Europe at the minute, actually, uh, which is yeah, a fa- fascinating movement, uh, trying to uh, breed transparency and a top layer that's fully visible in Europe, which is pretty cool, but also quite a big jump from the guy that did the crate thing for Team Fortress. But, uh, yeah. What was I talking about? <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, crypto, was, cryptocurrency, it... Steam points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. A Steam competitor is good, uh, but calling yourself a Steam competitor seems to me a very bad way of trying to go about business. It's like if somebody launched a new phone and said that it was an Android competitor or an Apple competitor, or somebody came yeah. onto the scenes and said, our OS is great, we're a Microsoft competitor. It's like you haven't quite earned the right to say that just yet. Maybe in time you will, but... That's not really yeah. the attitude that you need to have when you're... It's also, because they say, and obviously it, do, it does happen, if one company tends to monopolise the market when there's no competition, you know, prices tend to go up. That's the common yes. theory. But with Steam, that isn't the case. <laughs> no. Steam Games are cheaper on Steam than buying physical anywhere, plus their sales are ridiculous. Yep. So... It's almost like you don't need a competitor. I mean, Steam have got problems, yeah, with the amount of rubbish games and stuff you got on there. But re- realistically, you're not gonna get any better than Steam. <laughs> I mean, they do have competitors. Uh, they've got GOG, which yeah. is obviously CD Projekt Red, and they've got Itch. Itch. Itch is an absolutely amazing marketplace, but because it's been operating the open doors policy, which isn't a bad thing it's just not really working for Steam in the eyes of many people compared because Steam had obviously a legacy of being an, a place that was hard to get into uh, but Itch has got an open doors policy but they're so kind and but and they allow people to opt out of paying Itch when people buy their games and and you know, you can have games on there that are like you choose to pay, and there's, there's itch is definitely one to watch, and they've got great technology there, but it is really just two guys in a garage. Whereas Steam and Valve is obviously a massive corporation that can afford yeah, to move a lot faster, but doesn't got, need to. I mean, obviously, like you, I mean, itch hasn't got anything big on it though, has it? It depends on how you define big, but I know exactly well, no what you mean. Games yeah. On there. <laughs> yeah. 
There's no triple A's on there. Obviously, GOG has because of uh, some at least. Obviously, because they're run by CD Projekt Red, so Witcher and things is on there. Yep. Um, but there's there's also a, a ton of triple A games on there, and I think, I mean, GOG's obviously big thing is the no DRM. Yep. Which, I don't know, helps and hinders them in many ways because their games end up on. Uh, sharing sites, should we say, within seconds of being released. Straight away. But um, it's a kind of, I suppose it's kind of an honour among thieves thing. Yeah, it is. If, if you want to call true. I wouldn't call Gog thieves, actually, but, but yeah, so. But you no, know what to I mean. be honest, yeah. They're one of, they're one of the good ones. Yeah. But, but it true. But still, just on, just on sheer numbers, you can't compete with Steam. No. And obviously, you know, the other ones I've tried as well, Origin and, I don't even know the names of the other ones because I can't, I can't be asked to know the names you play uh, there was Desura but I think well they're gone there was Gamergate which obviously uh, suffered due to the uh, unfortunate name movement yep uh, Green Man Gaming as well uh, although I don't know how many people use them and then there's obviously the subscription services like Jump and Utomic but they've not built up libraries big enough yet. Although yeah. Utomic is doing quite well, and obviously the ones that just keep themselves themselves, like Blizzard. Yep, yeah. Origin and as well. Are. I mean, Origin does sell other publishers' games, but Origin feels so closed doors. So I hate going into that ecosystem uh, so much so that I just generally just buy the EA games on on a console instead of buying them on PC now. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, I've. There's a, there's a couple of games that I've got on Steam that I've actually never played because I didn't realise I needed to have something else. Uh, I think I've got Alice Madness Returns. I think um, I think it's all right with EA games on, Origin on there now, but Uplay will instantly boot up the Uplay game client. Yeah, what have, what have I got on there? Uh, Trials. Yeah, the one that was based on that Excite Bike or not Excite Bike, the other one. Uh, no, the, it was the eighties weird version of it, of Trials. Yeah. What was it called? It was really good. Yeah, it was based on a different, a completely different game, wasn't it? I played. I had. A, I had a really, really cheap browser version of the game in the nineties that I think I just kept yeah, constantly so that, that installed. The two wheels were just completely everywhere. It was essentially the uh, jelly cars or. Yeah, there's tons of them back then, weren't there? Or Huggle Run, whatever that game's called, the one that was Smuggle <laughs> Run, but isn't called that now. What's it called? Oh, I'm going to struggle with that. But yeah, it was essentially the that of of the era, uh, and it was basically a knockoff, climb the map, but you're actually a bike thing. Back when you know flash games were doing the rounds. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> when it was, they were the only games you could get away with playing at work. That's it. Well, you can still, you can still. Well, actually, no. I mean, you can still play them at work. Sure. I didn't realise that Chrome actually going off on a massive tangent now, but I didn't realise that Chrome actually still had a uh, flash player in it. You just have to yeah. click. Yeah, because they they disabled it. They were like, we don't want it. It's a security weakness. But now, if you just click the box that says you need to install Chrome, you need to install Flash, it just goes. Ah, screw it! You've already got Flash, and just plays it. 
Yeah, it's it's like it's it is still there if you want to use yeah. it, but it's di- it's it's just disabled. But it's not even hard disabled, like you say. You just click a box and it just works That's again. It. That has completely changed my lunch breaks for the last week or so. Yeah, well, imagine that if if Rainway decides to work uh, well, you might be able to use that then. A good segue, yes. Uh, yeah, so Rainway is just constant streaming. It's just yeah, streaming and, apparently and streaming. It works through its own little apps. You download a server to your PC and then you open up the web app. Apparently it doesn't have to do any kind of port forwarding or anything like that. It just works literally through the web. You open up a client on their website and it just connects home and yeah, it's a bit. So do you have to still be logged into your home PC? Well, your home PC has to be on and things, obviously. But it's essentially streaming from home. Yeah, it just boots up your game at home and then just sends the screen output to where you are and Okay. Sends a controller input or whatever back. That works. So I mean, it's it's not no. No. <laughs> it's remote no, desktop. It's, yeah, but very very low latency remote desktop. Because obviously, if you try and play remotely on something like Team Viewer or LogMeIn or something, you're not going to get nowhere. It doesn't work. Yeah. But this is incredibly low low latency. A bit like um, you know Nvidia GameStream. Yes. Which is very very good. But I don't know. It, it, they they started the beta today. They're getting absolutely hammered. They keep posting updates on Twitter, just saying that we're spinning up more servers because we are just getting crapped on at the moment because <laughs> there's just so many people want to try it. But, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, and it'll be interesting to see if they actually come through on their promise of getting it on the Switch. Because that's the one thing that's annoyed me the most about Rainway is they have used the Switch from day one to market their product. And then at day, you know, right next to release, they basically said it's not coming to the Switch yet. It's da, 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 da. They've never had anything back from Nintendo. They've asked Nintendo for permission. Nintendo have not said anything. I mean, did this possibly start because the Switch was based off of Tegra technology? Um, possibly. And the thing, the thing is as well, though, is that Rainway have shown it off that it works because they've got a dev switch and they can, they can, you know, make stuff run on it. So. They've proven that, that it actually does work on the Switch. It's just getting it properly licensed by Nintendo is probably not going to happen. No, probably not going to happen at all. How long until someone cracks the Switch? Um, if you've got a lower version of firmware, it's already been done. Yeah, I thought as well. <laughs> uh, will it run on a NVIDIA Shield? Um, they are working... I mean, they're, they're just releasing it on standard Android stuff, so yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, sweet. So it would work on me fine just need a Bluetooth controller yeah. yeah at the end of the day it's working through a, a, a HTML5 client so technically anything that can run HTML5 uh, should work so so technically even if they can't get a native app on the Switch if the Switch ever adds a, a, a internet browser it potentially could just work anyway mm. I, I, I feel like we've prattled on a bit here Toby what are your thoughts on this last 15 minutes of conversation that weren't on topic I'm interested in Rainworld it's not really for me I don't massively enjoy streaming games or enjoy to just have the physical thing in my hand but more power to the people and it's certainly interesting for the future is that right? It it means you could play Rimworld on your Switch Potentially in the future. I'd, I'd, I'd need a stylus for oh, that's that. That's good. Though. 
I'd be insane for the clicking of little things. Yeah, it would be. It is pretty much made for controller-based stuff if you're doing it on a console. But yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, I used to, before I had Skyrim on my Switch, I used to play it on my phone using the moonlight streaming situation. And that worked really well. Cool. You'll have to elaborate on moonlight at some point. Well, I'll just give you a quick a quick thing now. So NVIDIA obviously have the NVIDIA game stream uh, system which was built to stream PC games to the Shield. And specifically the Shield. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty much locked down. So Moonlight is a third-party uh, uh, game stream client. Basically, it pretends that it's a Shield and allows you to stream games from a PC with an NVIDIA graphics card to whatever device you've got it on. So I've got it installed on my phone and I've got it on my laptop. And I just click it, it brings up a list of my games, I click a game and it starts and it's really good and low latency and basically what Rainway is. But it just it does rely on its own little clients and it's obviously only NVIDIA. Gotcha. Well I have a I have an NVIDIA PC, so you're saying that I could effectively stream uh I could effectively stream to my laptop, which doesn't have as powerful a system as my PC. Yeah, I mean, it has to have at least not, I mean, not a big graphics card. Like, my laptop's got an Intel chipset, but it's a fairly new, recent Intel chipset for graphics, so it works perfectly fine on there. But yeah, yeah you can easily do it. You can, you get the client, which is a Chrome extension that you just install, uh, and then you just make sure your uh, PC is set up to do game stream. And it's all good. Cool. I mean, obviously, unlike Rainway that works through the web and stuff, if you're going to do it externally, you're going to have to do weird port forwarding on your router and things like yeah. that to make it work. But but it does work, and it, it it works pretty damn well. Very cool. And with that, though, I think that brings us to the end of uh, this episode of the podcast. So, it's uh, bye from me, and uh, bye from Dan and Toby. So, we will see you next time bye for now bye bye